Whiskey, whiskey. Welcome to the Whiskey Topic. I'm Mark Bylock. And I'm Jamie Johnson. And today's topic is going to be bartending. We're going to have an interview with Marvin Allen from the Carousel Bar in New Orleans. First, another uh, another uh, tales left. <laughs> right. <laughs> to make all of us jealous one more time. Is, is that joke still funny? I don't know. We've, I don't <laughs> we've know. We've well on that it. one. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Um, but really Thank a short episode today because, Jamie, you, you are flying off to Newfoundland to be on TV and do whiskey talks and everything else. Yes. Yeah. They've, uh, they've got their spirit show coming up uh, Friday. And so it's Thursday. And so I'm going to rush there and do a whole bunch of fun stuff. And I love Newfoundland. I love St. John's. My very best friend in the world is from St. John's. And uh, so I have a very, very um, like soft spot in my heart for uh, St. John. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited to go and chat and it feels like home there to me a little bit sometimes. I've been there so many times. So yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, yeah, you're, you're yeah. literally flying out within an hour from now. <laughs> yeah. Like literally airport. like I have to go like soon, like I've got to like get out of here. Amazing. Amazing. Um, uh, yeah. And so, um, if listeners are in Newfoundland, where can they find you? Uh, yeah. So, uh, we're going to be at the, uh, spirit show there, um, called whiskeys of the world. Um, um, you can uh, get tickets, I think, are still available online. I'll be on a, p- a panel with uh, Matt Jones and a couple other people at 5.30 on Friday. I think that's sold out, but uh, they'll be, I'll be at the Glenfiddich and Balvenie booth uh, for the uh, actual uh, spirits, like the, the pouring portion of the evening. So uh, come visit me there or follow me on Twitter and, and uh, Instagram for fun, beautiful Newfoundland pictures. Oh, that's gonna be kind of fun because you get to make fun of bourbon while you're on a panel with Matt I Jones, do. the brand ambassador from Jim Beam. So you're <laughs> who gonna I, be who I work for sometimes. So you're gonna be like you're gonna be like the Scotch person, and yeah. and you're gonna be like, oh, bourbon sucks, and Matt the- Jones is gonna be like, Scotch sucks. I assume that's how these panels work. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure. You know, it'll be interesting. Imagine I go in and I was like, well, Mark told me I'm supposed to be combative. So I'm just going to walk in there and be like, bourbon sucks. <laughs> and Matt Jones is going to be like, like, Jamie needs a lot of encouragement to yeah, be yeah, combative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's true. <laughs> I hate arguing. Uh, yeah. So, no, it's uh, it's going to be super fun. And you have some fun stuff coming up. You are a, a, a highly esteemed judge for the Canadian Whiskey Awards. Yay. Yay. Yeah. This Congratulations. Is, uh, thank you. Thank you. This is the first time I'm doing something like this so it's uh, they, they sent me uh, like 61 samples of Canadian whiskey and it's uh, as part of the Canadian Whiskey Awards which will be um, which will be revealed in January in Victoria in the Victoria Whiskey Show uh, but for now it's just a lot of tasting so literally it's every morning uh, you pull out a bunch of whiskeys you got little samplers and you taste and you score you do notes and you score uh, you give them a score from 1 to 100 um, or I guess 0 to 100 let's let's you know let's be honest I <laughs> know but uh, you give them a score and uh, um, as we all know, the score starts at 50 because, you know, that's the way ratings work. Right. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, it's a lot of scoring and a lot of interesting whiskeys. And I, and I have no idea what they are. I have absolutely no idea what they are. Right. Um, and uh, I, will, I will find out what most of them are. Uh, the winners will be revealed, I guess is the best way Got to put it. it. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like the usual award. It's going to be like bronze, silver, gold, metal type things. So a lot, a lot, of, a lot of whiskeys will win an award, will place uh, in the awards. I'm uh, looking for I want to see like I wish so badly it was like there was like a like an actual like seating of judges and you like had to go and like taste it and and you could be like the Simon wait is that his name Simon Fuller from like American Idol you could be like the angry one it would be super fun 
I don't know. They're like, Caramel, is that the best you can do? Come yeah. On. <laughs> I'm clearly getting a wafting, wafting bakery note from down the street. I mean, clearly there's just butter in here, not caramel. Oh. <laughs> no, it's going to be great. It's good. It's so good. It's such a great, uh, great opportunity. And your, your palate's great. And I know you're going to choose all the best winners. So uh, we'll uh, look forward to hearing what comes of that. That'll be super fun. Well, it's, it's really funny because I've, I've tasted a few really great whiskeys and I'm just I'm dying to know what they are oh my gosh yeah it must it must be killing you you must be like ah no big reveal I know I'm like I've, I've scored one and uh, somewhere between 95 to 97 I'm gonna taste it again I'll, I'll, I'm going through everything twice at least yeah. um, but I'm like this is just really delicious and it's perfect I'm like I don't know what it is um, but you know we'll find out in January assuming Amazing. it's a winner it's gotta be a winner it's gotta uh, be a winner so we'll find out in January and, and, and you'll know where I score things um, you know it's, it is anonymous so but we'll, I'll, I'll definitely reveal uh, how I scored the products that won and you know and that way we'll we'll have a little bit of fun with that awesome that's great wicked uh we are gonna uh, so i did record an interview with marvin allen now he is a long time um bartender bar manager at the carousel bar now jamie you would love this bar it's literally a carousel there's there's like you sit at the bar it's as he says it's the only it's the only carousel in the world where you have to be 21 years of age to to (laughs) ride Oh, that's awesome. And it spins around slowly. It does? It actually spins. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love Uh, sticky stuff. I love it. I want to go. New Orleans is wonderful. Um, So it's uh, uh, Marvin's a longtime bartender. He's kind of seen the cocktail scene, uh, you know, evolve over the years. And for for me, the wonderful thing is, you know, um, he's a lovely older gentleman, just uh, so much experience in the industry. And he just keeps changing with the industry. He's... You know, he he's taken on the cocktail scene in every way, shape, or form. Wonderful man. I uh, love talking to him. I, I chatted with him for a little bit before uh, the interview, and I'm like, okay, I need to get this on tape. So we, awesome. we, uh, we met the next day and, and recorded the interview. Awesome. That's my, my voice. My voice is crap. This is the last day of Tales. I had nothing left. Oh, I, my gosh. <laughs> we're, we were witnessing the downfall of Mark Bylock. <laughs> oh, you could, well, A, my, my mic wasn't working too well. So the thing, but B, my voice, you could just tell. You could barely, barely oh. make out the words I'm saying. It's wonderful. Wow. <laughs> wow. Can't wait. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. All right. So um, here's Marvin Allen uh, from New Orleans, recorded back in July. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, guys. Uh, I'm here with Marvin Allen, uh, really an institution of New Orleans and the wonderful hotel that uh, we're here today for Tales of the Cocktail. Um, you've been working at this hotel for 16 years? I've been here, at, well, actually 14 years here at the Hotel Monteleone. Yeah. Um, here in the, it's right, you know, center of the French Quarter, as you see. We're right on Royal Street, which is, we're far enough away from Bourbon Street and all the action, but we're close enough that you're right, right there. Um, it's, we're a family-owned hotel. Yeah. You know, fifth generation took over about five years ago. Amazing. So the family's still involved. Um, and I may sound biased, but I think it's probably one of the best hotels in the city. Uh, the decor, the friendliness, everything. It's the Montleone family. It's, it's swanky New Orleans. Like, if you think of swanky New Orleans, this is the hotel to That's see. the best way to put it, yes. The rooftop patio is beautiful um what if like there's a party there a lot yesterday during the day i'm like okay this is this is nice yeah it really is the pool area up there is beautiful yeah and um you know and then we also got one of our big things here is the carousel bar yeah it's the only carousel where you have to be 21 in order to ride amazing and it takes uh 15 minutes to make one complete revolution there's 25 seats up there yeah 
and we redid the area, renovated the area about five, four years ago, and expanded, and it's been it's been great ever since. You know, in this time of year with tails, it's phenomenal anyhow. And tails started 14 years ago with 10 people. Now, and that's this is where this is why one I want to talk to you first. Your fellow author, which I love having authors yeah. in the podcast, we'll have a link to your book on okay. whiskey.buzz okay. uh, slash shop. Uh, it's been credited for at least one sale in the last six months, so you're you're bound to bound to get a few sales. Oh, good. Um, but uh, so please do visit the website okay. uh, there. Um, but also because of your history here with Tales and how Tales started at this hotel. Correct. And you you've been I've been here from the beginning? I've basically been here at the beginning. I wasn't here for the very first Tales. Mm -hmm. I came the following year. So basically I've been here and I was involved in the first Tales is in a cocktail contest. Right. So basically I've been involved with Tales since the very inception. So tell us about that. Tell us, take, take us back to that time. Back, um, the first one was basically 10 people. Mm -hmm. um, it came out of a cocktail tour that was through the quarter and brought people in, um, cocktail enthusiasts um, like Dale DeGroff, Ted Hay, people like this. And they just kind of sat around over dinner and discussed cocktails. And after a couple of years of that, then it started expanding a little bit, got a little bit known that this was happening, and more and more people wanted to get involved to see what it was. And also at the same time of the whole cocktail revolution, so to speak, mm -hmm. where we're going back to using fresh juices. We're um, going back to the classic cocktails. We're getting away from the Long Island teas and the uh, fuzzy navels and the, the frozen daiquiris. And for New Orleans, that's a big deal because that's a very much an institution here. It really is. And so here at the carousel, you know, when I got here, um, I was talking with my boss a while back and we were laughing about this. The products that we have now have increased tenfold yeah. compared to what we had and our well, we escalated our well too. It's basically a call well. <laughs> you basically have a lot of different bottles for yes, all sorts of for all sorts of things because you can't just make them in hand with one one type of no. higher bourbon you no you've got to have your here. choice yeah right exactly you know so you know when I first started here you maybe had a choice of two bourbons rums maybe three right. which would have been Bacardi Myers and Captain Morgan amazing and something like Castile in the well right and tequila would have been Cuervo Gold Cuervo 1800 and Things have changed. Things have changed. Now you're looking at the Don Julio, the Patron, the Avion, tequilas like this. Yeah. Um, and also spirits such as Pisco. Mm -hmm. When I first, you know, first got here, was not even heard of. Yeah. Pisco is a big thing. I got introduced to that about nine. About Pisco. Pisco. It's a brandy from Peru. Mm -hmm. um, there's, I can't remember exactly the grapes, but there's seven specific grapes that can be used for. Pisco and the production of Pisco, and uh, it's distilled to proof. Mm -hmm. There's no age on it. It's, it. It is a brandy, but it has no age, so it's going to be white, mm -hmm. clear, and it, it's about 80 proof. And so it's very good. And the classic would be the Pisco sour, which is the Pisco fresh lime juice, simple syrup, and an egg white. Yes. A little bit of bitters on top. It's 
sort of like a margarita, but it doesn't have it's it's silkier and doesn't have the um, the acidity of a margarita. Uh, this is the exciting part of your job is you're you're able to take these new spirits and make traditional drinks, but enhance them based on Correct. what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so we and this is kind of the whole idea behind tales. You, you mentioned four, 14 years ago, it was just a conversation about cocktails, where cocktails are going. Uh, and that conversation all of a sudden became very important. The cocktail scene was blowing up and these were very topical topical things. things. Um, uh, for instance, uh, creme de violet mm-hmm. was nowhere around. Right, right. And that's used in? Uh, aviation, it's used in a couple other cocktails. Yeah. And I play with, with other stuff too. Yeah. Because it's a great enhancement and color enhancer also. Right. Um, and earlier today, just before you came in, I was working with um, meeting Steven Soderbergh, and he's bringing in um, 63 Singani, which is a Bolivian spirit. Amazing. Um, similar to Pisco, mm-hmm. uh, but totally different. It's Again, it's a brandy. It's grape-based. Mm-hmm. Um, it's distilled uh, at least a mile high up in the Bolivian mountains. Wonderful, wonderful spirit. A lot of flavor, a lot of characteristics and stuff. And playing with cocktails with that is substituting like in classic cocktails, substituting the Singani for maybe gin or whatever. That's amazing. Um, it's amazing. Again, these great ingredients that are coming through. Um, so, Tails, the next one that you attended, second one, how did, um, how was that? There was a few more people. Um, it was more than just dinner. They started doing a couple events. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like the third one a lot more to where uh, they're starting to do a happy hour, different people were doing, more contests were involved. Um, a few more bars were involved. A few more bars were involved. We'd do a happy hour where the public came and sampled different cocktails and stuff. And then um, Katrina hit. Mm. And it was wondering if it was going to happen again. Yeah. And luckily it did. Uh, some sponsors stepped up to the plate. And it was a little bit smaller, but it was fun. Yeah. And then it's, every since then, it's just grown exponentially. Yeah. I would say there's probably about 25,000 people come in for this now. It's amazing. And it's a worldwide phenomenon event. I, you see people from all over the world, all over the country, bartenders, bar owners, distillers, um, people that are investing in different companies, things like that. And, and the sense of community here w- w- among bartenders is, is incredible because it, it isn't a job. I mean, you're uniquely positioned. You've been at this one bar, right. but most bartenders do travel not only within a city but between cities. Correct. Um, and just sharing that craft and having the bartenders come down here and yeah, and sh- you share and you talk and you and you're right. It is a camaraderie that. And every year I see some of the same people, yeah. and it's fun to see these people talk to them. And a lot of them are staying. Um, in bars and staying in their positions where they've been for a long time. Right. Because bartending has become a profession again. Yeah. And, and really, and that has a lot to do with tales. Because prior to tales, a bartender was kind of looked down as a temporary job, mm-hmm. something to do while you're in college or... Yeah, pay the bills. Pay the bills yeah. in between jobs or whatever. Whereas now, again, it's, it's becoming elevated to an actual career. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, I've been bartending now about 25 years. I originally was, career was restaurant management. Yeah. 
But I left that about 25 years ago because I was burned out and basically had it with management. Right. Needed to pay bills, so I decided I'm gonna wait tables, bartend, well, I got into bartending, found out I could do a decent living, have fun with it, and not have all the stress. And that was, so I'm still behind the bar 25 years ago. It, it, the opportunities for bartenders are pretty incredible compared to when you were starting out. They really are. Um, you know, you hear uh, meeting bartenders that are being flown to China or Japan or, you know, in the, in the Middle East that are just established bartenders in North America that are getting great opportunities, great salaries, great um, opportunities to work elsewhere to pr bring that classic cult cult uh, cocktail culture to, to bring other right. places. To bring that cult culture back because these places, um, even places here in the country, I had the opportunity a couple years ago with the book to travel into Michigan where I'm originally from mm -hmm. and the publisher actually set up some stuff for me to do, some book signings and stuff. So I was actually going to some of the bars up there and talk about classic cocktails and stuff and it was just, it's just this little growing business that's starting to go and, the, and all over the country you have these little pockets yeah. and that's what Tales did, it started bringing these people together. Yeah. Um, the sponsors are a big part of this in the best of ways. Uh, many way, many times they fly bartenders here, right. um, and so there's opportunities that way. Um, there's an opportunity for networking. Um, if you're a bartender, maybe you want to be in a brand ambassador position. This is a great place to network. Right. Um, again, combing your craft or finding out the new things that are done across the country. Um, and, and the sponsors really make that happen. They, it's, it's a unique way that they bring so much money into this, making this possible, because you could not do this any other way. Right, and the opportunities I've had throughout the years with Tales um, have been incredible. Mm -hmm. People like uh, Diego Lorette de Mola with Barcel Pisco. Mm -hmm. Met him like nine years ago. He introduced me to Pisco. Right. We've become great friends. Yeah. Um, Tom Bullet of Bullet Bourbon, yeah. another one. Um, and it's not that I'm name dropping, it's just they become, they become part of, and they know that bartenders are integral to the selling of their product. Yeah. And to use their products and coming up with ideas how to use it in different ways. And really, you know, leading the, the whiskey industry. Uh, you know, uh, the whiskey topic is generally about straight whiskey, drinking whiskey straight. But we have to understand that the bartenders are the ones that are really leading the products that we're drinking are responsible for having that selection of product. Like right. I can come to your bar and I could drink, you know, several different types of straight whiskeys where I, that wouldn't be possible without that cocktail experience because that's the general consumer's buying cocktails here. Correct. And also a bartender to me is also an educator mm -hmm. to the consumer because let's say you come in and you come to me and you don't know what you would like. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, my first question is kind of what is your flavor profile? What are you kind of looking for? Yeah. Um, what do you normally drink? And then I kind of go from there, and maybe I'll do something traditional, maybe like an aviation or something, it was very citrusy floral, or I may go something totally off the path that you never heard of and do a Pisco Sour. Nice. But I've also got to be able to know what I'm doing to educate the person why I'm doing this, what it is, what Pisco is, what an aviation is, and so forth. Let me give you an example. Somebody's coming in, they came, they came in with their Hurricanes, which they're these giant slushy drinks. Dig, you right, yeah. I assume you wouldn't let them into the hotel. or this, Yeah. They're, yeah. They'd yeah. be like, you have to leave that behind, sir. And they're like, but I only have finished this 32 liter Dig, Hurricane. Whatever. Right. Like, yeah. Okay, fine. I just want a cocktail. Tosses yeah. that to the side. Right. Comes into your bar, still has some, like their tongue is blue or whatever. Right. 
What kind of drink would you make for them? I'd, I'd talk to them, you know, you really want to stay on the sweet side or you want to go back to the drier side. The drier side. They're like, I've had too much of this hurricane. I'm tired I'd, of probably, I'd probably suggest then um, the classic New Orleans cocktail, the Sazerac. Amazing, yeah. I mean, it's got a little bit of sweetness, a lot of flavor, but it's not this syrupy, slurpy mess. Yes. <laughs> um, or if they want to stick with rum, and maybe do something like a rum old fashioned. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Or rum Manhattan. Yeah. You still got the rum in there, but it's a whole different avenue. And maybe give them something else to think about, and using instead of using maybe a cheap rum or something, escalate them to a higher end rum, some barrel aged rum, some whiskey barrel aged rums, things like this, mm -hmm. which gives a whole different profile. Or same as going with using, uh, if they want to stick with white rum, maybe going to a cane rum or rum agricole, okay, right? Love which that, has yeah. got you know the the um, vegetal stuff back there, yeah. almost tequila like, yeah, but very rummy. Love that. Um, before, so we're, we'll talk about your uh, your book a little bit. I, I love the way you described it to me earlier. Um, as we're talking about this, though. Um, I, Try to think of one good story you can tell people from Tales of the Cocktail that's gonna have Ooh. some punch. Um, but let's let's talk about your book first. Okay. Okay. So your book is uh, Magic in the Shaker. Shaker. Um, it is uh, intended. Now you describe the book. You'll say okay. it better than I do. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's it's really intended for the basic consumer because a lot of um, bartenders. Um, want to make bartending this secret society type of thing and I'm, I'm the opposite I want I want the consumer to be able to make my cocktails mm -hmm. it's kind of like that so I want people to be able to make these cocktails at home mm -hmm. and feel good about it mm -hmm. and also a lot of times bartenders tend to have um, all these special homemade ingredients and stuff which which is really fine uh, but you may go to a bar and really like it but how can you replicate it at home? Mm -hmm. Like you come in here and you're from, let's say Michigan, and I serve you something, and it's got a homemade shrub in it and uh, maybe some homemade bitters or something. Yeah. The average person's not gonna wanna take the time to do this. Right. And, which is fine for like certain cocktails, and I'm actually doing a dinner tonight where I've done some of that, but that's for a very special group. Mm -hmm. Would we do it right at the bar? Probably not, because first of all, labor intensity of trying to do it would be yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. But then you've got to look at consistency too, and mm. you've got to have consistency to do good cocktails. And that's why I always train bartenders and even people at home, use your shot glass. It's your best friend, right, your jigger. Right. Because you don't have to be totally exact but you need to be really close. Yeah. Because you want that balance. Because the minute you throw, you know, maybe get an extra ounce of something in there, you throw the balance all off. Mm. It's like my, my thing is too, is uh, to me, a well-made gin and tonic is a quote, quote, craft cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Um, like a bourbon Manhattan, well-made is a craft cocktail. People, I think, right now have gone thinking craft cocktails is a special, mysterious, whatever as a craft cocktail but it's not really it's anything that's well made and uh, the structure of your book is wonderful it's basically done by month so like 
January. What's the seasonal drink for January? You get the whole month to, to play with, to play with, with some certain things. Like in January, um, I chose um, champagnes and sparkling wines. Yeah. Because of New Year's. Yeah. yeah I start yeah. off with that, and you know, like mimosas or. Um, I'm trying to remember what else I've got in there besides mimosas, but talk about what champagne is, where it came from, the whole production of it, and then February, going to rums. Yeah. Because down here, usually Mardi Gras in February, mm-hmm. rums make great, um, oh, what's what I want, um, batch-type cocktails, mm-hmm. punch-type cocktails. Yeah. And they're easy to take in a big bucket and be well-balanced and stuff. Um, lends itself to that. March, I kind of focused in like on coffee drinks because of um, Irish coffee mm-hmm. and then Italian coffees, things like that. Then going into April, I'm because it's IRS and taxes and stuff like that. Went with cognacs and brandies. Just kind of, it just makes you feel rich, even though you got to pay all your money out. Right, right. And then, of course, May was a no-brainer. Tequila Mezcal, Cinco de Mayo. June, uh, I picked uh, kind of a totally different because June I focused in basically on New Orleans type cocktails. Okay. Because June was the month that the Sazerac became the official cocktail of the city by state legislature. That's amazing. So, you know, there's the Sazerac, the Vucare, uh, the Ruffignac, which mm. is an old cocktail named after one of our mayors, I believe. And things like that, some of the history, the Ramus Gin Fizz. Nice. Uh, July is uh, dedicated to Pisco. Okay. Um, and that was Peruvian independence was in July. So I focused Pisco drinks in the history of Pisco. August uh, are muddled cocktails, like oh. a Pim's Cup, mint juleps, things like that. They're light, refreshing. Good for the summer. For the summer. Yeah. Uh, September went to uh, basically martinis, gin and vodka. Okay. Throw the kids back to school, you have you knock yourself a few cocktails. Martinis, you're ready. Yeah, you have the yeah. kids all summer, and away you go. Right. Um, October, it, it, it was really interesting when I got the book finally laid out and got it back from the publisher and the editing. All of a sudden, discovered October was the 13th chapter, mm-hmm. and I focused in because of Halloween. I focused in on absinthe. Nice. So it kind of worked kind of weirdly together like that. You know, the eeriness and yeah. you know the whole mysterious of absinthe and all the uh, bad. Um, myths about absinthe. Right, right, right. And in November, because it's getting the cold months and stuff, went with uh, whiskeys. Mm-hmm. The brown spirits. And the old fashions. The old fashions, Manhattans. Great and, time for it, yeah. Right, and then Christmas, or in December, talked about some prohibition cocktails, because prohibition ended, or started in December, or ended in, ended in December, I'm sorry. Yeah. It started in January, but ended in December. So some prohibition cocktails, pre-prohibition cocktails. And then also Christmas drinks like punch or um, eggnogs and things like this. Nice. Kind of miscellaneous type of thing. Yeah. And the final cocktail, I really wanted to do it as a final chapter. The editor wouldn't go for it. You know how editors can be sometimes. Right. <laughs> but I wanted the final cocktail to be the last word, mm-hmm. which it is. But I wanted to give it its own chapter. Right, of course, yeah. And, uh, but she didn't want to go for that, so I put it in with the December. And the last word is a great cocktail, one of the forgotten cocktails of um, gin, chartreuse, lime juice, and um, maraschino liqueur. Mm-hmm. Comes from the Detroit Athletic Club back in during Prohibition. From your home state, that's great. right. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of fits in there. Excellent. Um, yeah, I mean the, the book looked really great. I'm gonna like yeah. I said have a link on the website to it. Um, 
and and yeah, just I love the I love the concept of having a month to try a type of cocktail, so that way you're not. Because I think the biggest problem for like a home bartender where you end up buying all these liqueurs and everything else, then you're like make the one drink and then you forget or you don't know what to do with with the next. So you're literally like, here, this is this is the bubbly month. So just buy some bubbly bubblies and have fun with it and have fun with it and use the products. That way you're you're more efficiently using your bar. Exactly. Uh, I, I love the concept. I think it's uh, really really wonderfully done. Um, so tales of the cocktail. Uh, some of your favorite stories from. What, um, one of one of mine it was an absolute favorite. One of mine is um, a few years ago. Uh, Danny DeVito was in, and he was introducing a limoncello. <laughs> and we were used to have a radio show with Chef and the Fat Man here, uh-huh. and uh, you know, doing a cooking show on the radio is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and they're out of Atlanta, and they used to come in and do this cooking show. It was a lot of fun. I always do it. I became really great friends with them. Every time we come in, I'd always have to do their show. So this one year, Danny DeVito was here pushing his limoncello, introduced his limoncello, him and um, his wife, um, Rhea Perlman, great people. Um, Tom Bullitt was here with his Bullet bourbon and stuff. Um, myself, uh, John Besh, who's a great chef here in town. And he was getting ready to open up Dominica. He had a chef from there and a chef from his other restaurant. Luke, we're all in. And we're all doing this show together. We're having a blast. Yeah. All of a sudden, um, the host of the radio show says, Okay, Marvin, you know you can make a drink. Now, I want you to get over here, and I want you to cook something. And, John, you got to go make a cocktail. <laughs> and we're going to have a see who's going to win. That's amazing. And it, I had a blast because I was with the um, chef from Luke at the time. And I'm like, you know we're not going to win. Right. Who's going to vote against John? He says, you're right. I said, just do something and just go crazy right it actually turned out really well because i kind of know how to cook and so i wasn't too worried about that but it was a blast it was one of my favorite memories that's amazing um trying to think what else um you know there's been a lot of celebrities through um you know some with products some just wanting to come in and be here um earlier today like i said uh Steven Soderbergh, who film director and stuff, mm-hmm. was here introducing his Sangani that he's importing in. Um, a few years ago, we had in um, the, a celebrity um, of sorts. He had a rum, but it's like a guy by the name of Ron Jeremy. <laughs> right, right. You know who he is? Oh, I know who Ron Jeremy is. Yes. You know his rum. <laughs> What's the name of his rum? I don't know. <laughs> I remember it sounds very fancy. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's like a something, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. That, that was very interesting. Yeah. To I, see the women just fall all over him. Really? Even oh, to this day? Even to this day. I'm just going, okay, this is scary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there was hope for me. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Ron, yeah, I don't, most people, I don't know. It's they, Ron DeGenemy. Yes. Ron, Ron De Jeremy. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's a wonderful. Uh, the bottle's beautiful. Yeah, advertising's beautiful. It's a just, just, nicely done product. But I don't know. I've never had it. So. I haven't either, so yeah. I'm <laughs> can't comment on the liquid inside. But yeah, it, you know, uh, Ron Jeremy. Yeah, but, you know, and then I've met people because of tales like I mentioned earlier, uh, Diego, Diego Loretta Mola with mm-hmm. Marcel Pisco. We've become, like I said, great friends. Um, Tom Bullet. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, 
Alexander Gabriel that owns and produces Ferran Cognac. Okay, nice. Yeah, and these are all people and their teams and get to know them. Like tonight, I'm going to do a dinner for Rum Clement mm-hmm. with Ben Joan and his team. So I'm meeting all these people, and this is all because of Tales. Yeah, yeah. And it's just been an incre- it's an incredible journey through Tales and learning about these new products is, is also exciting for me because I, I like taking things and just kind of creating stuff around whatever this flavor profile is. Yeah. Or doing some bizarre stuff with it that nobody might think of. I, the interesting thing is you, you do have so many bartenders here. It's easy just to get behind the bar and mix and everything else and try the products so, out. Uh, great way to do it. Um, all right, well, that Marvin, thank you so, thank oh, you my so pleasure. much for coming out. Um, we're here at your beautiful restaurant uh, and bar. Uh, doing this, uh, we do apologize a bit of noise in the background, but that can be helped. Yeah, um, that means there's a lot of people here. And one one quick thing about yeah. bartending, too, a couple, two of them. Go my philosophy: mm-hmm. a knowledge of cocktails is maybe fifteen percent of bartending. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is personality and knowing how to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other one is, and I like to tell new bartenders this too and keep reminding people of this, that you're only as good as the last cocktail you served. Yeah. It's a classic kind of service industry, restaurant. Exactly. Because once, because I've seen too many people and too many businesses in this industry fail because they rest on their laurels. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't evolve, right? If they don't... If they exactly. Sta- if they stayed with the They stagnate. 10 years ago, their clientele might like that, but then your clientele will be like, the clientele starts dying off. Yeah, it starts dying off, yeah. And so you've got to keep up on things. You know, the classics are classics for a reason. Mm-hmm. You can build on those, have fun with those. But, you know, and if somebody comes in and all they want is a beer, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And then you're going to get somebody else that wants you to come in and do maybe an aviation or a last word. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all a matter of what you like. Mm-hmm. And maybe as a bartender, that guy that just gets the beer, maybe talking with him and talking with him and finding out, maybe give him a sample of another cocktail. He may go, oh, wow, this is really good. I never, yeah. and you may get something else out of him. I think you're, you nailed it for me. Uh, the bartenders that love to educate and, and, and talk about the spirits and the cocktails and um, you know, get to know you and understand. Okay, you're a Manhattan drinker. Let's 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 try some other things and see right. how you think about that. Um, and it's a wonderful part of the scene. Uh, it keeps me coming back and exploring different right. cocktails. Yeah, you know, let's um, say you come in. You like Manhattans, and your favorite Manhattan, let's say, is Blanton's, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. But have you ever tried it with a rye whiskey? Right, right. No, why? What's the difference? Well, rye is going to be a little bit spicier, a little bit more flavorful, and like myself, when I do something like this, maybe try and change somebody. If you don't like it, let me know. I'll replace it. You do what you really want. (laughs) 